0: for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash pod Bye. Pizza Hut was created by two founders, Dan and Frank Carney, and what some may see as a strange origin for a pizza chain, Wichita, Kansas. Within a few years, the iconic Pizza Hut building style was designed and implemented nationwide. And by 1971, Pizza Hut had become the number one pizza chain in the world in all metrics, and expansion continued throughout the decade. To celebrate their dominance of the market, they introduced a new variety of pizza, the Supreme. This new pizza would use all the ingredients they'd learned to use to perfection in one pie, a style many others would duplicate for years to come. Breed was founded in what some may see as a strange location for the world's number one purveyor of metallic hardcore, Connecticut. And after introducing the world to their iconic style in 96 with their album Satisfaction is the Death of Desire, they became the biggest band of their kind and in 2006 would celebrate their dominance with a record that used all of the ingredients they'd learned to perfect in one album, a style many others would duplicate for years to come. This week on Meep Meep, the 15th anniversary of Hatebreed's only Roadrunner release, their 2006 album, Supremacy. Welcome to Meet Meep, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. (laughs) What up, what up, Meepsters? Today I have a corker for you, and if you don't know how much I love cork, you should see the treasure maps on my walls and the soles of my shoes. This week we're talking about one of the biggest bands in the world and one of their most important albums, Supremacy by Hatebreed. So first let's enter a new segment that's in stereo but I will call The Monologue. (music) Supremacy came out in 2006 and I remember I was so psyched to get it at Millennium Music down the street from my house. Mainly because Tara Baker worked there, which meant I absolutely would be getting it for free. Defetus was blowing up on music television, and just a year or two prior, the band had been doing their hardcore heavyweights tour with Terror, Sick of It All, Full Blown Chaos, No Warning, and Love is Red. No Warning had just put out Suffer Survive, and I was the only one who cared. And Hunter from Love is Red said on stage... I'm the most straight-edge person in this room. And that statement would be true for about as long as he was in that room, because soon after, he would find out about alcohol and name his new band after it, Depression. Anyway, Supremacy was highly anticipated for me, and absolutely did not disappoint. Rise of Brutality, despite having some of my favorite songs, didn't feel like the next level up from 2002's Perseverance. But this? This was definitely closer to Final Boss for me. Two songs in particular I don't think get enough shine I'd like to point out now. Number one, Horrors of Self. So sick. The breakdown is also just a mean-as-hell riff that could be a foundation for a band's whole catalog. Absolutely killer. And the most truth? Here's the most truth about that. It's new as hell. The most Roadrunner lick they ever lucked, and you know I mean that as the highest praise. I'm sure they'd call it groove metal or something, but Jamie has done enough straight line stitch guest appearances that I think everyone's on the same page here. But me? I'm just a fan, a spectator, you see. We want to hear what's poppin' from the actual people involved, and so we will. Later we'll talk to Frank Regan about joining the band and his past resume of terror, ringworm and integrity. But first, if you want to attain the supreme, you gotta connect with God. So the God of Bass himself, Chris Beatty, gives us a little BG on the HB Sick. So the two albums before it, Perseverance and Rise of Brutality, come out on Universal. They're a big deal, universal's a big label, but this album mm-hmm. comes out on roadrunner, so how did that even happen you going from one to the other?
1: I mean, the the record industry was kind of changing at that point in time, you know, like like with the with the internet and album sales and just all that stuff, you know what I mean? So it was not more maybe more cutthroat, I guess, you know what I mean? Like if if you didn't sell x amount of records or there was any like little drop off or whatever it was attributed not to the internet and all that stuff. It was it was kind of it was just a weird transitional phase in music, like forever. And uh so yeah we left. It, it and it wasn't a bad bad thing. It was a learning experience, you know what I mean? And uh but but I think once we got over to Roadrunner, we were still on fire as a band. Like we still had like great stuff to like ideas and everything like that. It didn't really change who we were. You know, as far as that aspect goes, but I uh, don't like when it, when you go down to breaking things down to labels, though. Universal was we had a lot of hype going into that, and you know, got major label attention, and uh, it's just it's just a numbers game at that point with like with labels, and we we're lucky enough that Roadrunner still I consider Roadrunner a pretty successful record label. You know what I mean, like. Over the years, they have a great reputation. And we're more than honored to continue doing what we do with them. They were really behind the record. And, and to be honest, you know, like once we got to the studio, it didn't matter, like, really who the fuck was putting your record out, right? Like, you, you just wanted to, at, at that point, you're just thinking about writing the heaviest shit and, and fucking writing music that's going to pummel people for years, you know?
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So I know Mike Gitter is the A&R for this uh, album on Roadrunner. I was going to ask you, you know, since Hatebreed's already an established entity, is there really a whole lot of hands-on with the label, kind of checking in and, and seeing that they're getting what they want out of you?
1: Well, Mike Gitter, I, I love that dude. He's, he's one of the, the coolest dudes, A&R guys. He's always, he's he's actually more than, you know, just like an A&R guy. Like he he shows up, we hang out with him. He's he's well-known everybody knows him like shout out to him man what a what a great dude and there's not like too many great dudes like in the music (laughs) industry so he's like one of those unicorns i guess yeah so the way it kind of works is like label people check in and you know they have an investment in the band right someone's asking them questions from the top down but i mean with us they they would you know throw their input in and whatever but when you're in a room with, you know, us, us people working on a record and producer, we're just like, we're like, fuck all that. This shit's fucking hard. This is fucking, put it on the record, you know what I mean? Like, no matter, no matter what they say, they have, they, they chime in. But whether or not anyone actually listens to it is a, <laughs> is a whole nother thing, you know.
0: Do you think that your fans at the time were worried that you were going to either add a DJ or do like a ballad or something? Because that's the two kind of things that Roadrunner are known for at the time.
1: No, I don't, I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not us. And what definitely at that point in time, there's no chance like any of that was ever going on. You know what I mean? We just, we just wanted to keep keep the heavy going and just keep like pummeling stuff, you know? And they, they always want a radio song, right? Like, you know, the label takes investment out and in the bands and they want to sell units. And so they want something that's more accessible, you know, to, to the radio and all that stuff. So, I mean, they kind of got that. and uh, But it was, nothing's ever intentional like that. You know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't set out to be like, oh, we got to write this radio-friendly, you know, radio-friendly for us is,
0: like, completely different for most bands, you know? Zeus produces this album and every album after it and the one before it. Perseverance being, like, the big landmark Hatebreed album. You have Matt Hyde produce it. What made you want to even try somebody different when you kind of had so much success with Matt?
1: I mean, Zeus was in the mix the whole time. He had been there and he had his own spot and he wanted to, like, try it out because we know bands that he was in and, and stuff like that and uh, played with them. And, you know, he's, he's from uh, Massachusetts. So I mean, it was... And we heard, you know, the shit he was putting out is fucking amazing and it was cool we had like a, a new spot to go to which is it just made everything more convenient for us and and at that point in time too when we did perseverance the budgets for uh, recordings were like really expensive like like that budget we had for uh to record perseverance i mean we stayed at a fucking farm and, and the shit was fucking catered there were fucking horses like the, the rolling stones recorded at this place oh wow you know and then we went from that and like like just the way the music industry had changed, you know, it shifted so much. To that point with the internet and all that, like we went to his place, which was like a con- converted garage, basically. Like he had the the upstairs at the garage and uh, was like the control room, and downstairs was you know rehearsal room, all that stuff. And he had a house that was part of the deal, like rented, like right across the driveway. And uh, we really didn't start staying there. Until I don't know, Frank was in the band actually. So but we had this like the whole compound to ourselves and it was it was completely different from that fucking perseverance experience.
0: Sounds like more seamless, right? You're just kind of moving someone more officially into a role they were already kind of on the side doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was he was I mean he's proven himself now you know right we don't need to even like but yeah it, it was awesome be able to work with him and just be able to trust him you know what i mean when we go to do a record um it's relatively easy because we know each other everyone knows how each other works every, we have like the we just have our thing with him you know and it's great and and i hope he keeps doing all our records because it's just it's easy and it always sounds good and and he just keeps getting better at what he does.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, it would be crazy for you to move away from working with him. But just at the time, it seemed like just kind of on paper. But you've made it much more clear that you do this huge album that's like, you know, the biggest thing you've done up to that point, obviously, because mm-hmm. you have only done so much by the time Perseverance comes out. And then you try something different. But now that I know that he was already kind of part of that process anyway, like you said, I mean, since then, since what, O2, when Perseverance comes mm-hmm. out, Zeus is like household producer name now. So it would be like... You kinda of got it right, on yeah. the ground floor.
1: Yeah, it's it, exactly. Yeah, the ground floor of Zeus. That <laughs> 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 makes sense.
0: Um, the name supremacy of the album, there's also the song uh supremacy of self and mm-hmm. there's the lyric in to the threshold about attaining supremacy. Is that a chicken or egg situation or that those all kind of seamlessly work together? Um
1: you ah, could you could ask James that one. I don't know. It's like T- to the Threshold was, I don't know, I, I yeah, it's, it kind of just came apart, like, it came about, like, in the whole mix, you know what I mean? It wasn't, uh, Jamie always had, like, lyric ideas and stuff like that, like, to the side, so I'm not 100% sure where that came from, but uh, as far as Mike Gitter naming the album, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was suggested at some point, I don't know, <laughs>
0: I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's not like he created a word. Supremacy exists outside of my head, yeah. but Yeah. Uh, I always tease him about that because he'll be like, you know, I named that record. I'm like, I, I mean, it's, you said the word, or I mean, it's, it already existed. You didn't create, a, you didn't name Hate Breed or something, you know. But like you mentioned, I mean, Mike is one of my favorite people in the world. So I'm just giving him a hard time. I don't want you to think that I'm talking shit. him. You should absolutely give him a hard time. Um, Maren Karenatent does the artwork. Maren also did a album cover for Full Blown Chaos, which was on Stillborn. So do you know how mm-hmm. if that how that connection happened?
1: Yeah, we would see different like versions of it coming back and forth and like putting our two cents on it, you know what I mean? Like like we always do. You know what I mean? Like like a piece of art, you know, uh get rid of this, put that in there, let's try this. Someone comes up with an idea, and then you have like your final everyone goes to. But uh yeah, I mean, it stands the test of time, I guess. You know, like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool album cover. I, I like that album cover. It's a, I mean, it's a worldwide thing. I mean, that's what kind of, like, when I look at it, you know what I mean? Like, maybe, like, that's it, our music, like, fucking, that's where our reach is, you know what I mean? Like,
0: it was kind of, like, maybe that, too, you know? Which makes sense with the title, Supremacy, kind of, like, you know, lording over the earth. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with the fact that Destroy Everything is a big song at weddings? No. I
1: have no idea. Is that is that a real thing?
0: Yeah, because it opens with A New Life Begins. People that are like into metal and hardcore, they're like, Oh, (laughs) our new life's beginning. I had no idea. I I gotta see footage of this now actually. Tearing it up to destroy everything. That's like a thing. I thought it was a joke when someone first told me. Then I was like, oh, this is like a, a phenomenon. Because I didn't get it either, because, you know, when I think of it, I'm thinking destroy everything. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like a very matrimonious phrase, but it's the the, a new life begins part and then the base part afterwards. So really, it's you. You're part of all these people's new. uh, Oh, man, I'm like a I'm like a matchmaker now. Or uh, you got to get ordained and just be part of the full process. Now you're talking. There you go. I like that. The realty thing that can be the side hustle. You can actually just be like a traveling. I, I could hand out cards at the wedding. And, and play That's the right. bass line. Hey, you guys are getting Why married. This? I'd love to get you into your first home as a couple together. This is all <laughs> synergy is what they call it. Let me ask you this. What do you think about Supremacy separates it from other albums in the Hatebreed catalog? I,
1: I think it was like a little bit like uh like hard, like, like harder. It's just like, know, it, had, it had something more to it. You know what I mean? Like, like all our records do, um, but Defeatus is on that record. Right. And uh, destroy everything there's a lot of good songs on there so i yeah just i don't know it just came out and it was like it just felt like there was hints of like more more metal which gradually like increased over time in our bands you know like we all love metal anyway like i don't know it shouldn't be really a secret to to hardcore kids and stuff like that like you know that we were heavily influenced by like metal riffs as well like we listened to fucking all the heavy shit, you know. So uh, obviously, it's gonna find its way into the music. But I don't, I don't know. If it was like right, right album, right time too for us, you know, because it got really big over in Europe, and like that kind of like set us set us off in that direction of doing like huge shit over there, so it resonated with a a whole different type of audience that we really had just kind of like started not working on, but like playing to, you know, and I was, it was, if it didn't come out at that time, it would have been, it would have been very weird for our career. I think actually.
0: And speaking to your metal influences, I think that that was really cool that after this, you did that for the lions cover album, because you could kind of see where you guys get the influence from directly from you. Cause even like, you know, it's funny because Hatebreed's Breed's obviously such a, a hardcore band and that's where it started. But doing, like, the Set It Off cover is cool to me because that's, like, you know, ground-level hardcore for me and my generation, whereas maybe, like, mm-hmm. Agnostic Front might be for you guys. For me, Madball was, like, the first thing that I heard that I was like, oh, this is what a hardcore band is. I mean, the Madball is
1: amazing. Yeah. Right. Still to this day and the Agnostic Front, you know, so it's, yeah. But, um, yeah, AF was, like, the first to kind of do that, too, the crossover like stuff and i was like holy shit it's fucking what one voice when and uh, when i heard that and i liked their music before that but i would like that like was like perfect mix of like hardcore and, and metal you know it was, it was fucking amazing it's
0: timeless actually and actually guess what that came out on that's right roadrunner being into metal, were there Roadrunner bands when you were younger that you remember being really into, or it just kind of was just you were into whatever that was around you at the time? I didn't particularly like like look at the the labels and
1: stuff like that. You know, I, that would be like an, kind of an afterthought. I wanted to fucking hear what was in there. There were there were a lot of metal bands on Roadrunner. Once I started playing, becoming more like involved like the hardcore scene, like kind of like. Like pay a little bit more attention to that kind of stuff, you know, because Victory at, at the time when we were like putting out satisfaction, that was like the the label to be on for like hardcore, you know. Yeah. It was everyone was on that like Earth Crisis, Snapcase, you know, fucking endless bands, and uh, that was that was great to be associated with that at that time. So yeah, I guess you could get crazy with that shit. It's kind of like I play <laughs> baseball cards, okay? You know? it's like fucking the Same kind of shit, man. Like, maybe my brain just doesn't have like enough fucking data storage in there. Maybe up the RAM to fucking <laughs> organize baseball cards, memorabilia, and
0: fucking all that shit. Just classic baseball cards, or do, do they still put out modern ones too?
1: Oh, modern ones now. Oh. So, uh, me and my me and my son go, and it's the baseball scene is completely out of control right now. Baseball cards came back like bigger than ever. Because when I, when I was growing up, like, the, when I was a kid playing late 80s, early 90s, I, I played sports and baseball my whole life. And, I was like, and we were buying all those baseball cards. My, my friend's parents actually owned a, a baseball card store. So we would go in there opening packs and all that shit. But all that shit is worthless. Like, fucking all, all the stuff from back in the day when we were kids, except for I'll show you the one card right now. This is it. That Ken Griffey Jr. card. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's rated and all that shit. So that one's worth money. Yeah, man. Like, so the, all the new shit is actually cool. There's like autographs in it, and like everything's like limited. There's uh, pieces of uniforms and shit like that, and they're they're actually into the card.
0: Yeah, because I'm really into wrestling, and they'll make wrestling cards now with like you know a piece of the ring that the match was on or whatever shit like that. So it's probably it's a similar... the same, Yeah,
1: it's like the same thing. Yeah, because I think doesn't tops. I believe Tops owns or puts out the wrestling cards. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything's getting crazy, man. I, was, I went down some road of uh, NFTs yesterday. You oh. know what those are? <laughs> yeah. What no, is that? Holy shit, my mind. I'm still recovering from going down that rabbit hole yesterday.
0: Is there anything about Supremacy, looking back on it, that you would change? I mean, at the end of the day, like, once it's, once it's
1: on the record, set in stone, like, it kind of, like... I don't revisit that shit. You know what I mean? Unless it's like something live I'll think of, you know, just to like fuck around live. Oh, this could sound cool because there was, I didn't do anything in that part and I could fucking add something to the song to make it better. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I don't, I don't obsess over fucking wish I could have, should have kind of shit. You know, you know, I wish more people would play it at weddings, I guess, now. So. <laughs>
0: Hell yeah, so now we know how we got to Supremacy and what songs to pick for a reception playlist, but now what? Guitarist Frank Threegun joined the band on the tail end of the recording of Supremacy after a stint with emerging hardcore heroes Terror. Frank tells us about those events as well as his perspective on this album, the band, his role in it, plus early relationships with Roadrunner's catalog and... Mushroomhead. 2006 supremacy comes out on roadrunner records hate breeds only album on roadrunner and you kind of come in near the tail end of the recording of that Uh, there is a song pollution of the soul that's recorded for this it ends up on self-titled did you play on that song
2: i did i did i did play on that but um you know the record itself you know i was checked that was around the time i joined we had some huge the first shows i had with them were opening for corn. So it was like wow, talk about throwing me to the Lions because you know terror prior to that, which is what I was doing before Hate um, you know, was not playing shows at that level, you know, and even the bands before that, integrity and ringworm, we you know, it was never at that level. I, I think we did a warm-up show in Connecticut actually, just to break me in, if you will, to to just uh have one under my belt before we went over there and did that. And it was
0: overseas. So So was the opportunity to join Hatebreed what caused you to leave Terror or one had already happened before the other?
2: I just was unhappy in Terror. I was ready to really, you know, secretly leave and go back to work. I think in hindsight, on paper, for somebody like Scott Vogel, who I've been great friends with, one of my best friends since the 80s, we kind of thought it would be cool to be in in a band together. You know, looking back on it now, I feel like a lot of people don't even know I was in terror, you know, because it was such a short thing. I, I kind of, the analogy I use, it's when Ice Cube went to, <laughs> he went to New York and started messing with Public Enemy for a minute. You know what I mean? I went, here I was living in Cleveland, playing in these other bands and Ringworm, and I went and I messed out, messed around with these dudes for a minute. And, and that was it. You know, I, I think that I was in the band less than two years. But you know, and and I just didn't have my shit together when I was in Terror. You know, Ringworm was a was a partying band. We didn't tour a lot. Neither did Integrity really. So it prepared me to 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 take it more seriously and become more professional. I, I'm glad that Terror survived me being in the band. You know, because there <laughs> were some times that it was it was a little shaky. You know, there was a lot of drinking going on with Scott and I, and but at the end, it just. um I don't know. Those guys eat and breathe and sleep hardcore. You know, um, I love hardcore, but I love all different kinds of music too. And in all fairness to them, I think that um, it was great experience. I, I appreciate everything it did for me. You know, I was pr- proud to be the part of it, but uh, I think that hate breeds a big, a better fit for me. And it was something that I kind of thought was always going to happen because I was so tight with Jamie and Sean. They used to talk about me getting in the band someday when, when, when terror and, and, and and Ringworm and Integrity, you know, when Sarah Ringworm would open and go on tour with Hatebreed, before I was in Hatebreed, those guys would be like, get your stuff, you're riding on the bus, the whole tour, your band won't care, it'll be more room in the van for them, you know, more room in the hotel for them. So I had this tight relationship with these guys, because they were huge Integrity people when I joined, when you know, when they started, when they started Hatebreed, they were such Integrity fans that, that, that's how I knew those guys. They would come through town and sleep on my floor, you know, when they were touring in the van. And we did, as many people don't know, we we, we do a we did a record together back, then, Integrity and Breed. Split Seven. This record. It's funny. Some of the kids bring it to the signing, and they don't even know that that's my old band, and that's me <laughs> on the back, jumping with my guitar. So. A little 101 um, history there, but uh, that's pretty much it, and that's what led to 2006, March of 2006, me officially joining Hatebreed, and, you know, Roadrunner did put out that record and uh, Supremacy, and um, that was my, you know, it was big for us. We had main stage Ozfest that summer. I know it was the only time Hebrew was on the main stage of Ozfest, and our billing was like second or third band. We weren't even first. So there was a lot of big things going on with Hebrew. Then, of course, Destroy Everything arguably is one of the most popular songs for sure. So this is kind of unique because you're your your whole thing is Roadrunner here, it seems like. And that's like the, the basis of the, the um the, the show here. So it's kind of it's cool because it's something different. You know, I cut my teeth in the thrash scene, you know, in the mid 80s I went and saw Celtic Frost and Possessed and Venom and these bands. You know, some of my favorite bands, Merciful Fate's my favorite metal band of all time, you know, not and, and they and you know their their stuff was coming out in Europe on Roadrunner, even though it was combat in the States here, you know. So I'm no stranger to Roadrunner and Road Racer. And 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 for me, it was more more the '80s than the '90s. I do get into obituary and things like that, but um, you know, um, for me, I've seen that name Road Runner, Road Racer, growing up in the in, in the metal scene, um, in the '80s for, for a long time, and even it goes all the way up till now. Where the I think, the last thing I, I got was the Maddie Matheson cookbook. Oh, nice! <laughs> because I love to cook. And that's like, uh, and I, and I'm totally inspired by him and he's such a cool dude. And I was like, this is cool. I think I had my sister get it for me for Christmas or my birthday or something. I was like, and I've already gone through and used some of the recipes. So, so for a lot of you do that don't know, Manny Matheson is like this kid who's world renowned and he has his own cookbook that roadrunner put out and it's a double record and it, all the recipes and it's just him talking and like the insert is all, you know, um, you know, it has all the the homage to all the bands and Roadrunner that he grew up listening to Machine Head, Madball and all that. It's very cool. Check it out um, for all you record collectors and people out there that like to cook. So,
0: yeah. And like you said, he's really uh made a name for himself worldwide. And it's so cool because he comes from, you know, kind of our world of hardcore and metal. And then to be like, you know, universally respected. I'm sure there's people that he does his uh cooking shows and, and things like that with that have no idea about, you know, that kind of pedigree he has.
2: I mean he's blown up so big that the majority of the people have no idea about any of this music or this this world that that, that you know he comes from and, and what we do. But that that's cool to me. That's super cool to me. You know, it's uh it's it's just a way for um us all to expand,
0: you know. Well being Florida Frank, I would think that, you know, like obituary, deicide.
2: You know, I, I I, I'm originally from Cleveland, to be honest with you, you know, and then playing in Integrity and Ringworm. But I spent a lot of time in Florida. I've always wanted to live in Florida. And this was my second time, you know, our tour manager gave me that name because I before I'd even moved down here, I was always coming out of a down here, spending time down here. Now, when I moved to Florida the first time, it was in the mid 80s and I befriended uh, Pelwich. They're a, a legendary metal band from Florida, you know, from way before the death metal scene even hit, from their, their mid-80s more. He was a lot older than I was. I was probably about 15 or 16 when I moved down here, and I purchased their demo at a record store and and reached out to him, and next thing you know, we're hanging out all the time. And, uh, you know, he was deep into the scene. I mean, they were playing shows with Massacre, with Cam, like when they were starting the band, and Cynic, and, and, and all these bands from way back then, Death, you know, when they were even starting out. So, you know, when the Morbid Angel Abominations Desolation or, or the Thy Kingdom Come demo came out, and we would get a hold of that. Like, we were, I was pretty up on that scene as it was evolving being down here. Now, I would move. Back from Florida, probably around 88 89 and then, you know, I kind of got more into the hardcore scene at that point. You know, the New York hardcore scene was popping off right then and there. But I, you know, I, I was really interested in that for a couple of years. But when the ba- when bands like Civ and Orange Nine Millimeter and Quicksand—no disrespect to them—and and, and 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 you know, some of those bands felt the need to show you that they could play their instruments better now, and it just—it started changing. That's when I grasped onto the first wave of earache bands and 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 death metal and things like that. So I really was into that kind of music back then. And you know, DSI that first DSI hit, and um, Obituary and, and Bull Thrower stuff, which is I, I, I you know, which even cements the bond with Hatebreed more because they I always thought they were like, if you take Bull Thrower and mix them with the eggs, you probably have something that sounds like Hatebreed. So you know, I, I was hip to to that. You know, the whole death metal scene but when the as far as florida's concerned I, I was actually there and gone before it really popped off so one of the last tours that we did before it all shut down was we did two very long legs with obituary and that was super cool to bond with those guys you know i'm still speaking with them all the time and they're a lot of fun those those brothers are super nice guys and i love all those guys and it was great to see terry playing with them and I had mentioned about you know what a fan of massacre I was, and uh, you know we I def we, me being in Florida and, and having that you know that relationship with Pat and Helwich and, and being part of the scene back then we had a lot in common, so that was super cool. And I think it's a good mix. Hatebreed, no Bitch was a really good tour, and we had Agnostic Front, Madball out on those two. I mean the the lineups were insane. Prong too. I mean it was stacked. It was stacked. And and when I joined Hatebreed, it seemed that we were doing a lot more tours like that. We would—I remember a tour. It was Hatebreed, Napalm Death, Exodus, Black Dahlia Mar- Murder, First Blood, Spies, Icon.
0: I saw you tour for Supremacy. It was Hatebreed, Evergreen Terrace, God forbid, Yes. and maybe Acacia Strain or something yep. like that. Yeah. And even that is kind of like you know a bit of a crazy lineup. A lot of—I mean, you know, all metal bands, but still all like different bands completely.
2: Sure. And and that's kind of what Hatebreed obviously is known for, you know, um, being that universal band that kind of brings the genres together, you know, and, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do tours like that and have those different kinds of bands, different kinds of people coming to the shows. And it's it makes for a, a big turnout.
0: So you mentioned being in, you know, all these other bands, Integrity, Ringworm, Terror, working with Hatebreed on Self-Title, which comes out after Supremacy. Uh, Zeus produces that as well as Supremacy. Was that the first yeah. time you'd ever really done a record with like a producer?
2: Um, no, because those integrity records were done at Mars recording with Bill Karecki and, and, and he's, you know, in Cleveland, Heralded. Um, and, and a lot of people in the hardcore scene and other bands went, have gone to him and done stuff. So um, it wasn't the first time, you know, but um, you know, I, I have a relationship, I have a long relationship with Zeus going back, you know, for, for quite some time he's a lot of fun he's a great guy he's, he's a he played in old bands back in the days an old metalhead so if you, you want to have somebody that's fun and somebody that um is a friend but also is going to push you they're almost a sixth member but they're they can push you without pissing you off i guess <laughs> i guess you could say so but jamie's very hands-on with with um you know uh the production and and um and that whole world of it too. So it's not just Zeus, I would say. You know, it's it's Jamie's very hands-on in the, in the
0: recording process as well. So Destroy Everything is essentially the biggest song in the catalog. Rivaling, I will be heard. Did you guys kind of try to focus on you know the thing about Destroy Everything is it's that that rhythm that's very very conducive to like a European festival, right? Which the video even kind of uh personifies. It's just got that bounce to it where it's very you can hear it from hundred miles away, you can kind of connect to it. So is that something that you kind of focused on more going forward after that with how big of a song that was for the band or it just, it was business as usual?
2: You know, you have to take a lot of things into consideration when you're a band that's been around 26 years, especially when you're not, no longer catering to the basements of America in your, and you've broken into these other scenes where people like your band, radio rock, people like your band, we're the most extreme band they like. And there's people who are, we're the most, you know, main, uh, main, you know, we're the most uh, mainstream band they listen to. So, you have to take those things into consideration for sure. You know, obviously, European festival is, we we do plenty of those and, and throughout the, <laughs> throughout the summer and, and and stuff like that. But I think you have to have something catchy. You have to have something. You know, you have to have an anthem. You know, uh, there's a lot of formulas that that go on there. It's interesting though because. With the Spotify age and things like that, looking down the barrel of today, which was off our last record, has millions of more streams than those other two songs. So, And that's a huge song in the set, which is great because that's a shot in the arm and a, and a breath of fresh air into the balloon. It, it, it is. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, when we were recording records that there aren't certain times or certain riffs or certain choruses and songs that are like, can you imagine the whole field? Of hundred thousand people jumping up and down this or or yelling these words, you know. I'm not saying that's what the song was written for, but um, you have to take a lot of things into consideration
0: for sure. So coming into the band with Supremacy, you know, you're kind of learning these songs and things like that because the, like you said, the album's more or less done. As a fan of the band beforehand, what did you think of that record in comparison to they had just come off of the rise of brutality, which is kind of I always saw it as almost like an extension of Perseverance. Maybe that's unfair to say, but that's kind of how I, I always, maybe because this is now always kind of felt like a an attempt at recreating I Will Be Heard, whereas Supremacy is its own kind of next chapter in the band. So as a outsider coming into those songs, you know, what was your first impression of this record?
2: I thought it was a little more metal. You know, I thought it was a little more metal. Uh, I, I think that, Rise of Bertelli is a very hardcore record. And, 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 you know, I'm just generally speaking, hardcore to me is the necros. You know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> there's no hints of metal. You know what I mean? It's not, the guitars aren't tuned down and the singer's not growling, but hardcore as it was in, in 2004 and 2006 or 2003 or whatever, you know, whatever years, you know, uh, Rise of Bertelli, I think was 2003, if I'm, if I'm correct, and, and, and Supremacy was 2006. Hardcore as it was known during that time um i thought supremacy had a little more metallic edge and i think that a song like destroy everything was teetering with i'm not saying it's a commercial song but i'm saying it's a commercial song for Heybreed at that point but i was listening to listening to that song though and listening to those records and having the recording and listening to them over and over again there was something about that song that was like all right if this song latches on this is the song and a lot of people are like Oh, you know, he pretty put out the same record every time. But to me, we don't. You know what I mean? I think that a lot there's a lot of different stuff in the catalog. I mean, if you, have, you talk to the hardcore fans from day one, they'll tell you the same thing. But the critics, especially people in metal world, they want us to completely change it up every record. And it's just, we're not rushed. We're not a progressive band. We're not progressing like musically and just every record and being like, okay, here's what we can do now. You know, it's just, we... Our, our thing is, we know what what our fan base is, and we know where we want to go. I'm a firm believer, and you have to keep people happy with what brought them there in the first place.
0: Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that Hatebreed's a very consistent band. You know, you know what you're going to get from it, but also, you know, you probably already like that, which is why you're a fan of the band in the first place.
2: True. Going with what you're, what you just said, we have to keep ourselves happy too when we we'll make a record. We can't just cater to all of our fans, you know. Um, we have to like the music that we play and, and get a charge out of going out there on stage and playing the songs every night.
0: So would you say that that's kind of what sets, I don't want to say sets supremacy apart, but that's the unique aspect of that album in the catalog that it's still got that foot in the hardcore world at that point in time for hate breed, but it's got, it's starting to add those metallic elements that you guys kind of built on going forward.
2: I think so. I mean, wh- let me ask you, you know, what do you think the hate when you look at the first four Hatebreed records, is Supremacy in a, by itself, or do you think it's it's with Rise of Brutality?
0: I always I, saw it as a trilogy. You know, Perseverance, Rise of Brutality, and Supremacy. I always saw as kind of a unit of of the the band's career because then you know it's kind of kind of got that separation with the covers record. Also, you know, Satisfaction is its own thing completely. It kind of to me sounds nothing like anything that comes after it, for better or for worse. So I always kind of saw those three records as as a unit together
2: okay yeah i mean going back now looking at it all to me the first four records are a certain era of the band the the self-titled record is on its own for sure and then the last records that came from that they seem to be in their own grouping together you know i just hope that people still see where we're coming from the band that we're trying the band that we've always tried to be and they can see that and the bands we still take on tour, the small shows we still play when we're not playing festivals and and things like that. The self-titled record, the fact that it's a self-titled record and that the colors are completely different on the cover. And this is the first time in the career that we've done different tunings other than standard C, you know, we definitely were trying some different things on there. And, you know, for some people it was too much for, for other people, it wasn't enough, but two huge songs during our set came off that record. And, you know, I think it set the, the tone for what would come after it.
0: Well, like you mentioned, uh, being in the, the, this band existing for such a long time and you get these, you know, one or two big songs that come from it, mainly because they're, they're singles, not that it discredits other songs that are on the record, but is that difficult compiling a set when you have all these hits from the whole catalog? And when you're putting out a new album, I know you want to focus probably on that new album, but also you got to make sure you're satisfying those past endeavors.
2: Well, we've done a good job of it now, but you know we haven't toured for the new album yet. Obviously, so now you're talking about adding two, three, maybe even four songs into the set. So now you're taking away some of these deep cuts, if you will, because you have your hits. There's at least three or four off all the records. I mean, even two or three, you add them up, and there's eight albums. It's a whole set's worth of songs. Now, when I was talking to you about before about the set list. The way it goes with breed is, and I wish every band that I love did this, (laughs) we've got a list on the drum riser of about 40-some songs that we could play at the drop of a dime. And he's got that list on the drum riser, and that's the only set list that's on the stage. And it's not a set list. It's a call-out sheet. So you're talking between 40 or 50 songs we could play at the drop of a dime. And we go before we hit the stage, we decide what the first song is going to be. And then after that, it's anything. And then people are always like, isn't it hard to remember those songs? Or what if he calls out something you haven't played in a long time? I said, the hardest part is just hearing what he said. Because if you don't hear what he said, that's, then that's too late. So until, you know, two, three seconds into the song until you figure out what everybody else is playing. Oh, when we sound check, we'll look at that list, you know, and, and what hasn't he called out in a long time? Let's brush up on those. So if he does call them out, they don't sound, you know, terrible.
0: <laughs> Has it been like that since you joined Even back in 06 it was like that Pretty, pretty much yeah
2: When we did the like OzFest or, or something like that Where it's a tight schedule We've got to Like whether it's a 5 minute changeover on stage Or something ridiculous like on a Mayhem Fest Or an OzFest we'll have pretty much the same Songs that list because we we're limited At time 30 minutes or 45 minutes you know, we might be able to swap one or two songs out with each other. For the most part, those were almost the same. But like on headlining shows, especially in Europe, where they want us to play longer than they do in the States, and then we're playing seventy-five minute sets, it's a lot of songs. It's a lot of different stuff. So it's cool. It's cool because um, it's not so makes it not so boring for us, and it gives the fans something to talk about, and it gives them the, it's them some incentive to come to maybe more than one show on the tour. I, I think it's great. I think it's fun. It's something to me that I really uh, been proud of with Hatebreed.
0: Supremacy was the last album with Sean Martin as well?
2: So it was tough for all this talk for years for me to get in the band and, and have him exit. For me, because Sean's one of my best friends in the world. You know, and I love Wayne and Wayne's a good person, he really is, and he's made me a better player and everything. But um, you know, Sean's my man, and fortunately I still see him and we still talk and still hang out and all that. But I just thought, <laughs> you know, we were gonna be doing this for years and years and years, and it wasn't that much longer until he was out. So, you know, he wanted to concentrate on other things. The tattoo shop, he owns a tattoo shop and tattooing and he got married and him and his wife him and his wife are busy that they do beekeeping actually, so and she's a realtor and, and, he, you know, he had, he had other things going on. He was still doing music. He was working with Cage and Kid Cudi and, mm-hmm. and play, playing music for um, hip hop artists and going on tour with Kid Cudi as a touring guitarist, playing arenas and stuff. So he's, he's done a lot of things and he, he has to, you know, he, he likes to, to stay home and, and work on the computer and make music and, and smoke a lot of weed and, and be create and be creative. At that point, Hapri was doing 300 shows a year when I joined. He just wasn't having that. He wanted to, to have more time off, and it wasn't really allotted. And, you know, he just uh, chose to step away. So I wish he would have stuck around a little longer because now we don't even do six months a year usually. It seems like on every record, we were going to Australia, we were going to, to Turkey, we were going to South Africa, wherever the hell it is. It seemed like every record we were going everywhere you could possibly go in the world and i think that a lot of bands stopped doing that they oversaturated the markets in some of these places and now you only go to these places like every five years or something like that you know every six years not going to all those places as often as we were which i think it's better you know because you do wear out your welcome um i think it's better to stay away from someplace for two or three not too long though because i'll tend to forget about you but um, it just seems to work better now that we're not um, playing so much. 250 to 300 shows a year is a lot. It is a lot.
0: It's like a pro wrestler schedule.
2: It is. It is. And, and, and you know, the money's on the road. And that's
0: no secret. You're into NASCAR.
2: Yep. I just was at, the, I've been to three races this year already. And there's only been four.
0: Were you ever into wrestling?
2: I got into wrestling late. I got into wrestling. I was so late to the party, and I wish I wasn't. I was big into wrestling, like when Hulk Hogan was a bad guy with NWO. And and then I got into ECW. And that, for me, ECW was, once I saw that, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever they're just beating the hell out of each other. And it's completely extreme. And I would go to those matches and I ended up hanging out with Rob Van Dam all one night and we were smoking weed and drinking all night long in his hotel room. And he was the the star in ECW. And then right after that, he wants to be the star in WWE and he was super awesome. And I was hanging out with all these ECW guys partying all night. I've been in the crowd and had Bam Bam Bigelow land on top of me and break the chair. And these dudes are just wrestling on top of me. Great stories from that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I got into it way late. And, I, and, and, you know, the guys in my band are always talking about it. Jamie and Matt, their name, you know, the, the glory days of wrestling. They know all these people. And I just, I didn't grab onto it back then because I was more of a into NFL and um, NBA. And, and, uh, and, and I was more of that kind of sports, not really caring about wrestling at the time. You know, I was in the BMX when I was younger. I'm skateboarding. And I guess while other kids weren't into that, they were into wrestling. I I don't know. So I I, I was definitely late to the party on that. I did enjoy getting into it. I I have some friends here in Orlando um, because they wrestle at uh, Full Sail University, I guess. And uh, I became friends with Braun Strowman and EC3 and Drake Maverick. And um, I got a good connection with some of those guys. But I don't don't really watch. I tried a couple of times.
0: But EC3, Ohio connection, right?
2: yeah yeah he moved down here from cleveland and my buddy jc and him are in cahoots um and jc is like a friend of his and they they have their own t-shirt printing place um in uh in, in orlando here and they 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 have a t-shirt business and I, I actually they were and braun was involved with it and so was drake and they they all were they all had me on uh a, a, they, they had a they were doing a show there for a minute I've got Braun and and all and I have Braun and EC3 and Drake and all them eating the hot sauce. When I first got the samples, there was no label or nothing. Hella Hot was just sending me the samples of it. So we were all eating spoonfuls of it together.
0: Well, that leads me to my next question. Cleveland related. Do you have any good mushroom head stories?
2: Yeah, I do. Actually, they just. It was amazing what they those guys took and did for themselves. They, they created their own world in Cleveland. They had their own recording studio, their own record label. They would do their own shows. They were the biggest band. And they were making so much money doing that, that when the, the, the labels came calling, they were like, thanks, but no thanks. And then obviously, as we all know, Slipknot came around and, 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 and saw water under the bridge now. But, um, you know, Jeff who was singing for that band, he, he's an older guy. My uncle, who's 10 years older than I that passed away, him and Jeff used to play in a band together, and uh, the first time I ever saw a band play live was my, my my uncle Joe, rest in peace, was playing in a band with Jeff Hatrix, who went on to be in Purgatory, then Hatrix, then Mushroomhead. Um, they were playing in an attic, and I was probably like in fifth grade or something like that and I went over there to go watch them practice like I think my uncle was babysitting me or something and I just remember like I never seen live music at that point I I was for my first concert that the the, the instruments were so loud, it just was scaring the living shit out of me to hear the loud drums and the bass right there. I oh, It's the little ass kid and they're rocking the fuck out. So and then, you know, Jeff, I always tell Jeff that, you know, Jeff and I always talk about the story because he and my uncle were friends. And and Jason, you know, who was singing J-Man, who was in Mushroom Man, he has ties to the hardcore scene because he sang for In Whole Blood. Um, and he sang on that in Cold Blood Victory record, and he had his own band Two One Six, and these guys had all these other bands like Runts and, and 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 these other bands Ten Thousand Cadillacs that they were doing, and they were all put out on that Mushroom Head label, and those guys were flying high and making money and doing well. I mean, I guess they they still went and played. They're very popular in the Midwest still, and do well. You know, it's just it's just crazy how the whole Mushroom Head Slipknot thing. You know what I mean? It's it's, but we played shows with them and they always would have, uh, you know, our bands open um, after, you know, they got big. We, we would be happy to play in front of, you know, a shit ton of more people than we normally would. And they were always super nice to us. So I got nothing but things to say. And I know that um when, when Integrity, after all of us had left Integrity, um, I think we did a record called Integrity 2000. Well, the guys that play the music in Integrity 2000 are mushroom heads. There's some ties there for sure. That they, they need a documentary. I think that would be a fun watch. So,
0: I think so too. Just because you know, I kind of hear about that stuff retrospectively. I of course knew who Mushroomhead was when they blew up in like the early two thousands, but I hear yeah. so much about how they were just like the biggest thing in the world in Cleveland, and I, I think it's such an interesting band. And because they have these ties to the hardcore community that people probably don't realize or or forget because of uh, like a you kind of already answered it for me. I was gonna say I think J Man was on a integrity record maybe just like pre-integrity 2000
2: yeah probably yeah and 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 that's how it goes when you're a kid and you're getting into music the local bands that you go and see first and hear about or you see them opening for bands that you like they're heroes to you local bands are heroes and whether people outside of where you live think they're great, you think they're great. You know what I mean? And those are people you looked up to. And I certainly looked up to a lot of people, a lot of bands in Cleveland, when I was growing up, watching them play purgatory, destructor, false hope. These are bands that I, you know, I idolized. and you know, the most, most of the world, even the underground world, they don't know those bands, even though they put out records or some didn't, you know, hyper as hell. I just, even with hate we would, playing on Oz Fest or Mayhem Fest touring with Camaro, you know, and these are, it's funny, these are kids that we wouldn't be playing when we're Integrity and Ring, we weren't playing shows, Skip Line were playing, opening up for us and stuff and here we are outside of Cleveland and are doing some other things and some other bands and we're out touring the world. It's super awesome. There's all those connections in, in, the, in the scene in Cleveland back then, yeah. which I'm sure it's, it's the same way in most cities, you know, musicians play with other musicians and they're in other bands and, but it's great to see people like that that you grew up playing local shows with and when you go to Europe and it's like hey there's this kid from my neighborhood we've been grinding these bands forever and here we are hanging out in Europe
0: is there anything that you wish you could have contributed or that you would have done differently with supremacy specifically like when you came in where you're like oh man this song is so cool I wish I could have done this to kind of add a little flourish to it or anything like that when you first came in or were you just were sort of excited to be a part of the process you're getting ready to do these huge tours it's not even something that crossed your mind
2: going into hate breed i knew that it wasn't going to be like with with ringworm i was writing about 90 percent of the music with integrity when i got in there i was writing about half the music when i got into hate breed i knew that that was gonna be non-existent for the most part and i and i know that jamie and 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 chris they're the sole songwriters of the band and that's how it is and when you get to a band at this level that's how it is you know some of my friends like from cleveland they, they just can't believe that and they they're like what you know and i'm like listen this is ron wood's been in the rolling stones for how long and he's the new guy he's been in the band since fucking 1976 you know what i mean he's not a president of the band though he's not charlie or mick or keith and that's how it is so um Sure, there's some things that I'm like, okay, you know, I would like to, to, to do that. But, you know, when I reflect on it, at, at the end of the day, my writing style for Ringworm and Integrity is very similar. It has a Cleveland sound. that is not That does not sound anything like what these guys do. The tuning's different. The picking's different. The strumming's different. And Hate Breed is has a formula and it works and it's been successful for how long. I don't want to change it. And I think that me trying to make to play that style i just don't think that it. To, i hate to doubt myself but i just don't think that it would be something that would be as good as what they do do you know what i mean so everybody asks why don't you have a side project? i talked about it i talked about having us we we came really close to making a skate rock band with randy from lamb of god and nate from converge um and we were trying to think about who we were going to get to play drums and just because we love that 80s skate rock that gangrene and boneless ones and you know christ on parade and beyond possession types type stuff but it just never happened so going back to your question it's hard for me to answer that you know because i just don't know how it would have came how it would have came might it might have hurt might have hurt The i gotta be realistic it might might not been as good as what's on there now if i was to contribute something on there you know what i mean so I actually have a riff on the self-titled record. There's a song called Undiminished. If you listen to it and it's in and its instrumental, and in the middle of that song, you'll hear this song. that You'll hear this riff that blatantly sounds like Cleveland Hardcore. So I'm sure got, a lot of people don't know that. But then, I, even even listening to that, I was like, see that uh, Jamie likes it. And these guys like it. But I'm like, it just doesn't. It's not. It's not. It's, it's got to have that groove to be hate breed. It's got to be in C. You know. It's got to be that. You know. So I, I just, as far as that style is concerned, I don't feel like I can write like that as good as these guys can. So, and a lot of people thought that uh, after Sean left during Supremacy and Wayne rejoined the band, that that's why the self-titled sounds so different. But Sean didn't write any music for April, ever. I think he wrote one song, one riff, and one song, and that's it, ever. So it's always been Chris and Jamie that write the music since day one. So. That wasn't it. Wayne Wayne took a lot of heat for that. <laughs> I was like, Wayne, see everybody, people that don't like Blue new record. I was like, you're, you're behind this for changing all the stuff. But um, maybe going forward, we'll, we'll, we'll try to uh, get me more involved in the writing process. But for now, I just enjoy my role in the band. It's very minimal. I just enjoy hanging out with these guys.
0: Thanks to Florida Frank, whose hot sauce you can buy at floridafrank.bigcartel.com, but yo, be careful, because it comes out of that bottle quick. And of course, it's only a matter of time before you see Chris and Frank and all the Hatebreed homies on tour, so keep an eye on Hatebreed Official on Instagram and invite them to your wedding next week. You think I have a clue what the episode is going to be? <laughs> yeah, right. The only thing I know is that you gotta go to patreoncom pod to support the show for three dollars. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts for free, and follow the buzzards over to Meet Me Pod on Instagram. In the meantime, I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Me, and yes, that's the best I could come up with. Bye.